coming up on The Modern Hotelier. The best piece of advice I ever received was from an executive housekeeper. She told me if your employees don't see you work, they won't work. The standard that she set is who you are. So you have to be the standard that you want to see. Hello and welcome to The Modern Hotelier presented by Stay Flexi, your all-in-one modern operating system for independent hotels. Each episode, we'll get to know an industry expert, and we'll discuss the latest trends in hospitality to help you, the modern hotelier. Welcome to the Modern Hotelier, presented by Stay Flexi. I'm your host, David Malilli. And I'm Steve Karen. Steve, who do we have on the program today? Yeah, David, today we have on the MJ of hotels, Bruce Jordan. Uh, Bruce has over 20 years of hotel experience working for brands like Wyndham, Marriott. He worked for IHG Corporate, Hyatt, Hilton, and more. Now he's the managing partner of Hotel Guest Management. Bruce is also the host of a hit hotel competition review show called Hotel Management Do's and Don'ts, which uh, for season is coming soon, and uh, also for true hotel leaders. Welcome to the show, Bruce. We're happy to have you. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad to be here, man. This is an amazing platform. I, I really enjoy the content. It's amazing. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Bruce. So, Bruce, we're going to go through three sections of the program. We're In the beginning, we're going to get to know you a little bit better. We're going to dive into your career, your background, and then we're going to ask you some questions on what's going on in the industry. Ready? I'm ready. All right. Here we go. What was your first job? My first official job was actually at a restaurant called Roy Rogers. I was 15 years old. I actually got fired for that job for being 15 years old. You can't start working in New Jersey until you're 16. So they hired me and then said, paid me for two weeks and said, hey, we got to let you go. Come back when you're 16. Double R Burger. I worked at Roy Rogers. It was fantastic. <laughs> Get uh, out of here. That <laughs> yeah. was the only place that had roast beef, hamburgers, yep. <laughs> chicken, everything. They had everything. I don't know how they lost so many franchises because I know. I don't know. I don't want to get off course this early, but I was the chicken guy. I made the fried chicken and it was, it was, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I could tell yours was extra crispy. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen in a hotel? We'll keep moving along the same direction. The weirdest thing I ever seen in a hotel was someone had filled up the tub with a bunch of chocolate fudge. I guess they had like a chocolate fudge fantasy and they wow. just went all in and only left a five dollar tip so I, you know the housekeeper was pissed <laughs> <laughs> they were hoping that they liked fudge who did you admire growing up well one of one of my idols was michael jordan i mean he just had all that charisma he scored all the points and when he wasn't scoring he knew the pass the ball so i i tried to model my career after jordan just in the hotel industry what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received the best piece of advice I ever received was from an executive housekeeper. She told me, if your employees don't see you work, they won't work. So I always make sure every day when I come in that I'm sweeping the floor, or I'm cleaning the counter, I'm helping out with the rooms, I'm at the front desk doing check-ins, helping out with guests. I'll always make sure they see me work because the standard that she set is who you are. So you have to be the standard that you want to see. Great advice. There was a person you could switch places for with for a day. Who would it be? It would probably be Warren Buffett. I just want to sit down and read a bunch of reports and, and not have to worry about anything. <laughs> <laughs> What's the most unique or random place you've ever visited, vacation, traveled to? 
I would have to say Cancun, Mexico. And the reason why it was unique is because I'm used to good Mexican food. And when I went to Cancun, I couldn't find any. So that was just a little weird. I had to go like into the hood hood to get some good Mexican food. I'm like, this food is going to get me killed. (laughs) (laughs) Was it worth it? Was it good? Yeah, it was actually worth it. It wasn't better than Austin, though, but it was it was good. (laughs) Give us something that's on your bucket list. The number one thing that's on my bucket list right now is to get to number one on the Star Report for the market that I just acquired right now, which is a little new to me. But right now I'm at number two, so I'm not too far away. (laughs) Outside of bathtubs filled with fudge, what scares you? What scares me the most is when an employee calls out on my shift. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) What's something you wish you were better at? Something I wish I was better at was leadership, like strategic leadership. Making employees feel great and making employees feel special, you know, for us, especially in the hospitality industry, that comes natural because we do it for guests. But being able to place the chess pieces where they need to go, where you're seeing five, six moves ahead, you know, that's the challenge. Right now, I can see two or three moves ahead. But if I can see all these moves coming, that'd be great. Is there a secret talent that you have that nobody knows? Yes, yes. There's a very secret talent that I have. I can give myself goosebumps on command. It can be 100 degree weather outside and I can give myself goosebumps. So I got to ask, how'd you find that out? Yeah, It was an accident. I found out when I've been, I've been able to do it since I was a little kid. I was in martial arts class and they was teaching you how to channel your chi and punch stronger and kick stronger and they said focus, and when I started focusing, I started giving myself goosebumps. So, uh, <laughs> wow. wow, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. If you could pick a superpower, you get one power. What would it be? The power to read minds. I'll probably be a uh, Professor Xavier. Yeah, because as long as I know what everybody's thinking, I know exactly how to handle the situation. That's cool. You're the first person to to say that out of all the that's guests. That's pretty cool. So, Bruce, this is where we kind of get to learn a little bit about your background, a little about who you are. So, where did you grow up? I grew up in New Jersey in a small little urban town inside of Union County. It wasn't the best town, uh, let me tell you. Everybody say urban when they really mean to say it's ghetto, but they're just trying yeah. to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's where I grew up. It was a, an amazing experience. But, you know, when you grow up in those type of towns, it's a good side because it makes you really strongly fast. And the downside, it makes you really insensitive to a lot of situations. So, like... Think about it. I'm I'm like seeing a shootout on my way home, leaving school. So when someone says, oh, I got a paper cut, you're like, man, I was dodging bullets and you're complaining about a paper cut. Yeah. I was going to ask how that shaped you, but you kind of answered it already. It's like kind of puts life in perspective, right? I I guess like kind of the things you saw weren't normal, I guess. (laughs) For sure. For sure. We might know the answer to this already based off of your title, but what did you want to be when you were a kid? And why did you want to be that? Actually, what I wanted to be was an attorney. The problem is I'm extremely honest. (laughs) (laughs) So I knew that wasn't going to work for me. (laughs) What was one of your biggest challenges growing up in life? My biggest challenge was probably when my mom put me up for adoption when I was like four years old. I was in foster care for about two or three years. And my mom just had to get some things together. So once she got me back out of foster care... Things was a little bit smoother. But of course, we still had some tough times. But that foster home was absolutely terrible. I don't know. 
I was probably better off in a kennel, like, <laughs> like with the dog. I was better than the dog kennel than foster care. Like, there, it's just ridiculous. Like, I can't believe some of the, some of the. I mean, they, I don't know. Like, how do you qualify these people? I watched one of my foster parents take a bucket of boiling hot water and made one of the other foster kids drink it and shove soap down his throat while he was drinking the boiling hot water. It was just a nightmare. Wow, that's tough. Do you have a passion right now, I should say, outside of hospitality? Is there a hobby or something that you like to do when you're getting away from work? Believe it or not, my hobby is uh, photography and videography. What I love about videography is, especially when you're editing and shooting, you're painting your own picture, and Adobe Premiere is my canvas. So there's so many things that I can do and, and change and you know, to make a, an amazing experience for everyone to look at, too. You've obviously come a long way from from where you started. Did you have a mentor either growing up or, or even currently throughout this process? Actually, one of my first mentors, his name was John, John Balicki, uh, when I was growing up. And he showed me that, hey, you don't need to, to sell drugs or any of that stuff to be successful. Like He was just an average average white guy that I don't know why he lived in my neighborhood, but he was an average white guy. <laughs> <laughs> Took the train to work, came home. He was a computer programmer. He was pretty frugal, which explains why he lived in my neighborhood. But yeah, he was one of my first mentors. And my second mentor was Steve Porter when I was at uh, ISG Corporate. He let me know that, hey, we're the CEOs, but we're also the leaders. And leaders need to train their people. And leaders need mentors. So he established a mentorship program for the people that were you know, mid-level management. And we were able to take part of that program. I was one of the people that was able to take part of that program. So those two mentors really helped me a lot in my career. Awesome. Well, now we'll learn a little bit more kind of on that segue, learn a little bit more about your career. Uh, your first paying hotel job was in the Hyatt Hotel in New Jersey. What made you enter into the hotel world? You know, I started off in the hotel industry as a temp. Yeah, I started off as a temp doing accounts payables. And within a year, I was promoted to chief accountant. So they hired me on full-time. I did accounts payables. I did accounts receivables. I did income audit. After that, the assistant controller left, and they pretty much say, hey, this is going to be your show, so you got to run it. Wow. So you got thrown yeah. in right away pretty, after, yeah, after a few yeah. months, huh? It was a little tough because uh, people were quitting because I was really, really young. I was probably like 20, 21. And my peers or my staff, they were well into their 40s. And they were like, I'm not working for this young kid. <laughs> but the good thing is I knew how to do all their jobs. So I just, you know, just work a little bit more hours. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So from that job to being a controller at the Crown Plaza, how did that prepare you to be a GM to the days in? How did that prepare you? I love the being a GM at the days in because one is select service and two, you have to know everything and do everything. So I took all my accounting experience and my operation experience that I got from Hilton and I threw that into the days in with no problem. So there was one point in time, like, and you know, this is Kissimmee, Florida. There was one point in times that we were charging $350 a night and booking it with no problem. So, Yeah. How did you like being a GM? Was that an easy transition for you or was that, did it take a little time? Being a GM anywhere is never easy, especially when it's a failing property because it requires a lot of grit and gut. And like I said before, you got to set the standard. So a lot of employees that are there, they really never seen true leadership or they never seen leadership by example. They're just used to someone sitting at a desk barking orders at them all day long. So when they see someone that 
can literally do their job physically, that changes their perspective. Because if I'm outworking you and I'm paying you to work, <laughs> what am I paying you for? There you go. There you go. So they know they have to step their game up because I, I have no problem doing 16 hour shifts or 20 hour shifts. It's, I've done it before. I'll do it tomorrow if I had to. But if I'm outperforming you, you probably want to reevaluate your position. <laughs> that Michael Jordan mentality right there. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You took a break for a couple of years. You came back for the Banyan Hotels and Micro Suites. What made you come back? Like, I mean, a lot of people leave the industry, obviously, recently, specifically, and don't come back. What made you come back? Well, one thing I didn't like, especially when, when COVID hit, is I didn't like the direction our industry was going in. Everybody was pretty much singing the same sob story. One thing that I realized is that it wasn't the fact that they didn't know what to do. It's just that they didn't have the tools. You got these people out here that are trying to change an engine with a screwdriver. Of course, you need more tools than that. So uh, I said, you know what? Let me just give some of my tools that I have to the industry, and maybe that'll help point the industry in the right direction. So that's one of the main reasons that made me get back in the game, because I just didn't like the direction it was going in. That's awesome. And then when you were at Banyan Hotels, you doubled hotel revenue within five months and also increased occupancy from 52 to 79%. You implemented a front desk sales training program, and then you increased the revenue score from 2.5 to 3.8 on Google and 2.0 to 4.0 on TripAdvisor. Can you tell us a, a little bit more about that hotel, kind of what state it was in and what that experience was like transitioning it to, I guess, be successful? Well, that hotel was, a. Uh, it used to be an extended state property that had a really rough crowd. Okay. So you have to take that property and turn it into a, a viable product. Mind you, it had a endless renovation. <laughs> I'm not sure if you ever experienced the endless renovation. It's like that construction work that's on a in a DC area on a, on 95. It's never done. It's been we're no working doubt. on it for 20 years. We're almost yeah. there. Just give us another yeah. 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what that was like at that property. So mind you, you're going through a renovation, trying to get all these rooms up. You're trying to improve the quality. And then, of course, you need to increase the revenues. And when you go in, you're, you're usually not going in with the best team. So you have to take a F or D team and turn them into an A and B team while you're making all these changes. So that's what the most difficult part was, having to weed out the people that I know that they can make it versus the people that like, listen, this was a, a crazy ghetto roach motel before. And this is the way I'm going to keep it as an employee. You ain't going to tell me what to do. Like, yeah, that's that's not going to happen. Stay home. Don't come back. The good thing is Florida's in an at-will state, and I sure fired at will. <laughs> Did you bring in a whole kind of new team or, or kind of a core of a new team to change the attitude? Yeah, well, after I got rid of a lot of people, one of the things that really helped me out was that I started outsourcing housekeeping. Instead of hiring my own housekeepers, I start uh, outsourcing it to a company. So when I didn't like somebody, I just say, yeah, don't bring that person back. And I didn't have to worry about unemployment. Smart. Was there a secret or anything that, that you really did that really stuck out for turning around that hotel? The revenue management in the marketing at hotel was god awful. 
And the reason why it was God awful was because in, in the beginning, it was done by the owners who was like a stock trader. So I, I guess he thought it was going to be like, just like the stock market, like, oh yeah, we're going to be here this day. We have a hundred rooms that's lower the price so we can be sold out. You have one room left, he lowers the price so he can be sold out. He, he, he has like a thousand rooms. He hires the price so he can get more money. It was just a nightmare. Revenue management was a nightmare. So I said, let me take this off your hands for because I got a better strategy that might work out a little bit better. There you go. There you go. After that, you got a little bit of reputation. You, you got the nickname, the MJF Hotels, and then you became managing partner at Hotel Guest Management. And then you started you know, growing your YouTube channels as well with the shows we mentioned before and your podcast. Last year was ranked, I think, number 14 in the industry. So what made you decide to go out on your own after that? Well, I seen that I, I still had a lot to give because I guess I came so popular because even though I'm a positive person, there's a lot of people that beat me at positivity. Like I'm not going to outperform Craig Poole when it comes to positivity or Glenn or Craig Sullivan because they they just got me beat. They have my number when it comes to positivity. But so I said, you know what, what I'm going to do, I'm going to be number one at keeping it real. I'm going to keep it real. I'm going to give it to them raw And I guess it just resonated with the audience because they were going through that every day at work. They couldn't use the bathroom because they were so overwhelmed with meetings and employee issues and problems. They got tired of all the tens of thousands of meetings. You're you're in the middle of COVID. Revenues are going down. You're having staffing issues. And the management companies and the owners, they want to have 10 meetings a day, like how are you going to run a hotel if I'm stuck in a meeting after meeting after meeting every day? And then uh, a lot of the hotels, they, a lot of them were starting to implement the revenue management software, which is a great guide, but you really don't want to rely on it 100%. And it seems like it was taking two times the amount of work to enter the information into the software versus doing it manually. So all their time is being sucked away. By the time they get home, they just dive in bed with their clothes on <laughs> <laughs> and wake up, take a shower, change clothes, and then go back to work, you know, working seven days a week. <laughs> with hotel guest management and focusing on building revenue, streamlining operations, increasing, you know, the reviews, is there a certain type of hotel that you like to work with? And how do you help the hotels that you work with? What's kind of one of the, some of your secret sauce? Well, I love working with value-add properties. Um, and underperforming properties. And the reason why is because no matter what I do, it's going to look good. (laughs) 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 But we're we're starting to get those properties that like, all right, listen, we look at the numbers and like you're looking at a 10, 15% increase in in revenue. You're you're not going to see double digits or you're not going to see a a 50% increase. So we're starting to see those properties as well. But my specialty is turning around failing properties in terrible markets. And how do, you, how do you do that? What are some steps you take to turn around a failing property? The market is key. You see a lot of properties start to go south. It's because leadership lose their hustle. Okay, you can teach skills. There's two things that's very difficult to teach, responsibility and hustle. Hustle is learned from people being around you, seeing how you work, seeing how you flow, and having an initiative and drive to pick it up and go out there and get the business. So you see a lot of hotels, leadership, they lose their hustle because 
they're really not being held accountable, especially in this day and age where you're scared to just lose an employee. I could tell you this much. The employee that I had in 2019, the ones that I have right now, they'll run circles, circles around them. The quality of employee isn't as good as it used to be unless you were able to keep all your employees after COVID. So that's number one is hustle. You have to get out there. You have to grind and you have to get it. So now here we'll talk a little bit more about kind of your industry thoughts. Speaking about what we were talking about, what's your advice for somebody who's just starting out in the industry? Someone who's just started out in the industry, they have to be able to do every single position that's out there. Don't say no to anything. Don't If they say, hey, I want you to work housekeeping for a day, you get to learn housekeeping for free. Okay, you get to learn operations for free. If they want you to help out with maintenance, you get to learn maintenance for free. Do you know how much maintenance men make in New York? And you have the opportunity to learn it without taking a course, without paying for a course. They want you to work the front desk. Anything they want you to do, do not turn down the opportunity to learn. I agree with you 100%. So my first job, like you, I was a busboy at the Hyatt in Pittsburgh. My food and beverage director transferred to Princeton I grew up outside of Philly, so I went home for the summer, and he said, come over, I'll get you a job. And he took me in HR and said, give this guy 40 hours a week. And I worked everything, banquets, host. There was a Catch a Rising Star comedy club. I was bar back. I did room service. I was pool boy. I was getting paid for it. And it was like the greatest summer for me as a professional because I got to experience everything and get paid for it. So it was great. So I agree with you 100%. Now, imagine you take that experience to your next hotel. You're worth more now because now you know. You're already developed. So, of course, you're going to command a higher price. Have you seen a trait in folks that, you know, you've worked with countless folks in the hotel world. Have you seen a trait in in those successful folks that maybe they, they all share or a lot of them share? They were all hungry. They were all hungry. There's one trait that I see that I don't like. That's the people that they want to be the GM, but they don't want to be a GM when it's time to do what GMs have to do. See, everybody, everybody wants to be GM on payday, but nobody wants to be a GM when you got three callouts in a row. Nobody wants to be a GM when the news is called and you have to speak to the PR person. You got to speak to the media. Okay. Nobody wants to be a GM when you have to lay off 10, 15, 20 people at a time because of COVID or because of a renovation or, or whatever the case may be. Everybody wants to be a GM on payday. But nobody wants to be a GM when it's time to do what a GM has to do. You know, especially on LinkedIn, and we've talked about it today, everyone's talking about labor issues during COVID, post-COVID. What's the biggest challenge you think outside of labor that's facing the industry right now? Technology, which is why I love your platform so much. I I love the UX designs. I develop uh, hotel software myself, and we are so far behind if Jesus came back today, he will be able to use Marriott's products. <laughs> like, we will need no training. <laughs> he will be able to use Fossey. He will be able to use Marsha. If Jesus came back today, he would get behind that front desk and say, hey, I remember this from when I was here before. Yeah. So- <laughs> I mean, it's amazing because um, when I switched from being a GM to the tech side and you start talking to people, it was crazy. Another quick funny story. So my good friend, Anthony Mercury, he was still on property when I left to start my first tech company and it was a booking engine. He said to me, what are you doing? He said, nobody's going to put their credit card on the internet. (laughs) 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 So, you know, you made an excellent point, but how do you think hotels should be using technology to drive more revenue? 
listen, especially with the with the tags and everything else, one thing I always recommend, especially when it comes to marketing, is you want to download your reservations. You have the telephone numbers, you have the email address. And what you usually do is you'll take it and split it up in quarters because the biggest mistake you can make is download all your reservations and then market everything together throughout the whole year. You got to remember that different guests are coming in different seasons. So you want to market to those same guests because nine times out of 10, they're coming back in that season that they was there for before. So I usually split it up into different quarters, download my whole database and upload that into Facebook for a retargeting program for that quarter. So this way I can target similar guests for that quarter because if they're coming there for that reason, more than likely a similar guest will also be coming during that time period as well. So using technology for marketing is one great way to get to increase revenues and get more guests. So every quarter you're just targeting the same types of folks on Facebook or other social networks that were already there. Correct. Correct. Very smart. Do you have any secrets on how to help a hotel that might be losing revenue or they want to make more revenue? Any any secrets you want to give away? Look at the, your reservations, the times that they're coming in. Everyone has like this max window. For some people, it's from 4 to 6. For some people, it's from 7 a.m. to 12 p.m. They have this time period that their reservations are being booked at a peak. And at that time, that's where you decide if you're going to lower your rate or increase your rate. The good thing about the hotel industry and why it's so easy for me to be is because everybody was trained to do the same thing. If they have like 10 or 15 rooms left, they're about to be sold out. What's the first thing they do? Oh, we're going to take all of our uh, listings down and we're not going to show our reservations in our rooms inside of the OTAs. I love that because now I'm the only one on there. So now I can go ahead and increase my price. Let all the other idiots that don't know what they're doing, you know, uh, sell out. And I'm the only guy with rooms. They're closing out their rooms because they don't want to pay the commission. And I got to increase my rates and add the commission that I'm going to pay in it. And there you go. <laughs> so we've hit on the technology. So if there was one area, if you had, you know, your budget, the last place you could spend money, what would you spend that money on? There was one area that you just, you had a couple thousand dollars left in your budget you could spend. Where would you spend it? I'd probably split it. But if it was just one area... I definitely focus on marketing. That's what 90% of the hotels lose. They just don't know how to market. So I put all of that money into marketing. What's a trend that's happening now that you think's here to stay? Something that we that hotels weren't doing five years ago, they're doing today, and it's just going to keep going on? Self-checking. Self-checking isn't going anywhere. It's just going to grow. So many people are used to the Airbnb and, and the home share program. They're used to not dealing with the front desk so much. So as the old people like me start to move out, out of that zone, the, the younger population is going to come in. That's all they're going to want to do. Like even right now, we have a texting program and guests are texting us saying, hey, I want to extend another night. I need towels, which means they don't want to get up and come to the front desk and talk to someone. So you're, you're going to see a lot more of that. And that's not going anywhere. Do you think that that the whole check-in process is going to evolve over time? Do you kind of have a have a thoughts of how that is going to evolve? Eventually, you're just going to see front desk agents just like we're talking to to each other right now. Front desk is going to be work from home, like because only thing they need to do is if they want to talk to someone, all they got to do is hit a button and say, "Hey, it's a video. I'm here." So that that's eventually what you're going to see. It's going to be a very different position. We've talked about this a lot with previous guests, but why do you think it is that? 
as the guest, they book their Uber through an app. They go to the airport, they check in with an app or on their, using their phone. But then hotels somehow still think that guests don't want to use their phone when they're on property. Why do you think that is? It's the Hotel Illuminati. They control the world. <laughs> I can't talk That's too a- much about it because I may get canceled. Yeah. But yeah, it's, the, it's a Hotel Illuminati. <laughs> These are the same people that are saying, you know what? Fossey and Martian, it's not that bad. We can stick it out. <laughs> this is the problem when, when you have the leaders at the top. They're not engaged enough with the people that's actually doing the work. So since it's not their problem, it's not a problem. Any advice for somebody who might be in a position like that, who's like, man, our guests keep asking for mobile check-in and we just don't want to go there. Like, Any advice for somebody who's in that position? Yes, don't be afraid to get fired. <laughs> because when, when that guy comes down, the first thing everybody does is they don't say anything because they don't want to lose their job. So you can't be afraid to be, get fired. You have to speak up. Like, this is the problem that we have. And this is the solution. I think we need to take another look at this. But if nobody says nothing, they're just going to keep thinking that everything's okay. So they're not going to change anything. I mean, I think there's both sides that have to change. Um, I think it's the tech companies and the hotel companies or hoteliers, because, you know, just like you were saying with the text messaging, I had seen a demo. I won't name the platform, but it was a texting platform. And the guy gave me the demo. I was asking him, I said, oh, well, can I just set it up so it responds to some of these common questions? And the guy said, no, we don't want to do that because we want it to be personalized because in hospitality. And I said, yeah, but I just wanted if somebody asked for the Wi-Fi password, I just wanted to respond with that or somebody asked what time's checkout. So I don't know what your thoughts are, but I know we've, we've kind of beat this to death, but why are hoteliers resistant and some of these tech companies to just to let AI kind of do what other industries let it do? The number one reason is budget. They feel like it's too expensive and they can't afford another penny when it comes to expenses, but they want to see their revenues increase, which is kind of weird because in order to make money, you got to spend money. So I'm like, and it's all about the guest experience. So a lot of hotels are cutting back on the guest experience to try to save a penny, which leaves rooms for people like me to come in there and blow them out the water. But that's the number one reason I think is cost. And the number two reason I think is they just don't understand because they're not involved enough in the operation. So if it doesn't make them more money, if it costs them more money and it doesn't increase the guest experience like a hundredfold for them to them, it's, it's not worth spending that extra $2 of room to get it done. Kind of speaking on this technology front, how do you think or do you think the metaverse, NFTs, blockchain, are, are, do you think that's going to affect hospitality? It may initially, but the only thing I really, that really scares me about that is the government. The government doesn't like anything that it can't control. So when once it has something it, has, it can't control, the first thing it does is it has this spam on there where they're... Uh, plagiarize it to death, say it's, it's terrible, it's awful, stay away from it. The next thing they'll do after that is they'll come out with their own version. So now I think the government is about to, to launch its own version of cryptocurrency. So where would that leave the, the rest of Bitcoin and everything else? And with NFTs, you get to set, set your terms. So let's say if I sell a book and it's an NFT, if I sell a book without an NFT, it sells once, someone can resell it, I get nothing. If I sell it as an NFT, every time it sells, I get paid. So how that would work in hotels, I don't know. But it's going to be very interesting to see how this whole thing evolves. Do you think NFTs could be incorporated into hotel loyalty? 
where there's only a certain number and there's only like 3,000 NFT, only 3,000 loyal hotel members. And basically that could drive up the price if this hotel is very popular or something like that. Do you think that would ever be a play? That would be a great idea. I will I will love to see something like that in the future. But the problem with rewards, guess, is the expense. So if anything that's going to reduce the expense, a program that will reduce the expense for the hotel, you can see hotels looking at it thoroughly. Only problem that I have is that it's going to be hard to get the franchise to move on that because they make a little piece off of that rewards program as well. So they would literally be cutting themselves out of a deal and I just don't know too many franchises that's willing to do that. <laughs> <laughs> totally true. Totally fair. Yeah. Well, that actually it brings us to the end. I would tell you something, Bruce. This is one of our shorter ones, but it was definitely quality over quantity. Really enjoyed talking to you, and I thought you gave us some great insight. And this is where we'd like you to kind of plug away, tell people where they can find you, your company, the MJF Hotels. How do they get to you to work with you? Oh, yeah. You can go to hoteloutube.com. That'll take you directly to my YouTube Two channel. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can also email me at Bruce at hotelguestmanagement.com. And if you have any failing properties or just needed some good hotel marketing, just give us a shout out. Well, we loved having you. That ends another episode of The Modern Hotelier presented by State Flexi. We appreciate you, Bruce, and uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. You made it to the end of The Modern Hotelier. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and follow wherever you listen to your podcast. The Modern Hotelier is produced by Make More Media and presented by Stay Flexi. Stay Flexi is your modern operating system for independent hotels. If you're interested in learning more about Stay Flexi, you can go to stayflexi.com. Or if you'd rather talk to me instead, feel free to shoot me a message on LinkedIn or email me at steve.karen at stayflexi.com. Thanks and have a great day.